This episode is brought to you by Thinknear. Their location score platform delivers the most accurate location targeting available on mobile. Visit them at locationscore.com. And by Pollen. Access your app store revenues faster and fund user acquisition straight away. To sign up, go to pollen.vc. and welcome to Untethered.tv. I'm your host and your founder, Rob Woodbridge. My guest today, this is his fifth time on the show. Fifth episode with my guest. It's Ellie Portnoy. Now, you know Ellie because of Think Near, and I'm just going to give you a quick summary of who Ellie is. He was the uh, co-founder of a company called Think Near, as I just said. Uh, he spun that out of Techstars. He came out of Techstars. It was sold to Telenav in Techstars' largest exit to date. He was in there as a GM of uh, Think Near, doing some amazing things, and finally got that entrepreneurial bug again to go out and start something new, and that is exactly what he's done. He has left Think Near, and he has started something called Sense360, and we're going to be talking about that whole transition. Uh, but the big thing, I think that what Ellie has done and his contribution to, all, obviously, the location-based marketing world and advertising world, and now we're going to be talking about it uh, with, with a little bit more in Sense360, was the fact that he drew out the biggest elephant in the room around location-based ads is that the location was not accurate. We've talked about this ad nauseum around accuracy and uh, location-based ads. And he basically said, hey, listen, it's not working. It's not right. We need something in here to showcase that this isn't working. And that is what Thinknear's mission was. And now he's on to the next thing, which is basically the myth of the mobile download. And we are going to be talking about that before or after we get the update from Ellie, uh, because he has not only just uh, launched 360, he's also raised a small round of $2.8 million. I'm going to bring him in now. Let him speak. Ellie, fifth episode, man. Thank you for doing this. Oh, no. Thank you. I, I absolutely love talking to you. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for having me five times. Five times. That's awesome. Like, there have been a couple of five times Cy Young Award winners or, you know, Vesna Trophy winners, but never have I had somebody on five times. And uh, that, that, that goes to show you that these conversations not only are great, I love them. But people, they resonate with people. And um, I love how, how you speak about this industry. So I'm, it's my pleasure to have you back on. Um, you. So you're in your offices, your new offices in L.A. Is that right? Yeah, these are brand new. We moved in last week. Last so. week. <laughs> we got internet yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So what did you do between last week and no internet? Like, that's a significant amount of time. Just go home. That is, right? Yeah, yeah. basically. No, we had a couple of those portable hotspots. Uh, it was actually not so bad. It was not so bad. Well, uh, so this is the new startup, Sense360. Uh, why don't Why don't you start there? What What is Sense360? And then I want to understand. Uh, I want to just give a, spend a few minutes on that transition from Thinknear. Absolutely. Yeah. So Sense360, what we're doing is we're looking at all of the different sensors on a phone. So most smartphones today have between 11 and 14 different sensors, and each of those sensors tells a little bit of contextual um, or paints a little bit of a contextual story about what you're doing, where you are, what's happening around you. And so we want to combine all the data from all those different sensors to give app developers a really contextual 360-degree view so that they can build more personalized experiences. You have, do you have one quick example of something that you would, you would hope that a developer would do or because of what you're doing, a developer could do? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, at Think Near, a lot of what we were spending our time on was how do you use location to figure out where someone is? Because if you know where they are, then you can do a better job of showing them content that resonates with them. Well, location is just one of the things you can do. And so we're, we're looking at location and activity. And so is the person driving in New York when it's raining? So driving would be an example of um an activity or is the person sitting down with their phone in their pocket or out of their pocket? Are they at home or at work? So there are all these different um, cases. And if you do that and you start personalizing the content and the experience that you provide users, then you can get to some really cool and interesting um, use cases. Well, and we're going to talk about, about this because uh, you know, I, I, I think that it's it's amazing. I mean, we, we have uh, spent so much time talking about location as the uh, the be all and end all. But you're right. There, location is one context, and like moons in an orbit, there are these other contexts that that float around location that make it even more powerful. And, and that's what's cool about Sense 360. Obviously, the name Sense 360. Um, you know, I, I just on the name, it's very interesting because we've talked about this. Is that uh, uh, I'm um, I'm so thankful to have Think Think Near as a as a sponsor on Tether.tv, and in the in the time that I've done that, I've been able to sit down with a bunch of your ex-coworkers and talk about the, the formation of Think Near and oh, the things no. that I've learned. <laughs> and I, like I got to say, one of the greatest things that I've ever heard is the naming process which you use to find Think Near. And, um, and the name that you guys were using uh, was, was this company called, was, was Relusions, right? Relusions? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! As soon as I heard you talk about names, I knew you were going to go there. Well, I just <laughs> I, I had to because because I, I you know Relusions um, is is a is a god awful name, and we all know that. And 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 uh, and I think it came down to the fact that basically um, you know somebody took pity on you. They own the domain name Thinknear, and they gave it to you to go off and, and do it. But but uh, I, I just I, Relusions. I, I think Sense three sixty way better than Relusions. Just between you and I. All right. Yeah. Just that I there. think you're absolutely right. We learned our lesson. Relusions. Wow. Um, uh, way off, uh, but I just had to bring that up because it's it's uh, you know it's those little stories of startups that uh, that that help kind of create the myth of the company. So, uh, Relusions yeah. Sense three sixty is much better. So thank you. So you go from Relusions to Think Near, uh, and and you spent uh, you know uh, when you uh, you've been doing it most of your life it would seem uh, inside of Think Near, and then um, you sold the company to Telenav, and then you were there for two and a half years. Is that right? Uh, three years almost as uh, under Telenav. Two years. Two years. Two years. What, yeah. what was it, man? Like, um, you, you just the entrepreneurial bug struck again. Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, being being part of Telenav was amazing. Telenav was an incredible acquirer. Um, the CEO, HP, Lauren, um, everyone at the company was amazing. And I really love Think Near. It's, an, it's not only an amazing company, it's an amazing group of people. And getting a chance to work with them and and really like iterate on this market was was phenomenal. But you know, it. I, I remember one day where I just came to the realization that I'm a startup guy and, and it's a very different skill set to be a startup guy than it is to like man, manage a big company. And, and Thinknear had grown to the point where it was a big company and I didn't feel like it was it was fair to the team or to the business for me to be running it when I was deeply passionate about the product and what we were solving. Um, but I wasn't passionate about the size of the business or what we were doing. And it felt like we needed someone who was passionate about that stage of the business, who thought about organizational design, who cared about um, all of the different pieces that need to go into scaling. And, and that just wasn't me. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't like in it every day. And so that's when I, I came to the realization and the, the, the decision that I needed to um, go back and start another company. 
That's that's a hard decision, isn't it? it? Like you know, you're sitting there and you put everything. You've drained your veins, right, into this company from every aspect. You've sacrificed quite a bit, uh, and uh, to come to the realization that uh, you love the company, you wish you had the passion to do what was required for the next level, but you realize that you you didn't. How difficult was that? It was enormously difficult. It was so I thought it was going to be difficult. It ended up being way more <laughs> difficult. I remember, th- so the day I told the team that I was leaving was actually one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had. And it just, like, um, I couldn't even believe what it would be like to come in a few weeks later and, and, and go somewhere else to work and, and not be with those folks and not be thinking about the same problem. So um, it, it was tough. It, I think near I hold really dear to my heart. And I, you know, um, I'm so excited to see them continue to do really well. And I know they're going to thrive um, because it really was the right thing for them to, to bring on Lauren. And I, th- I think it was just a good thing for the business. Uh, even though it's just, it's so difficult. And I've reached my plateau as well, um, you know, uh, around companies is that I, I'm much like you, is that I prefer the hard work of growing and building ideas and formulating the ideas into something that somebody will buy um, rather than than um, operations. I'm not an operations guy, uh, you know, and, and uh, but it's great to have that realization and all of a sudden be able to then look around and, and, and step into something like Sense360. How, how, you know, you must have been thinking along the lines uh, that, you know, Sense360 is in the back of your head or something similar, a new company is in the back of your head, um, you, you know, because you, you didn't take a lot of time off. You went from one to the other. Um, you know, was the transition difficult to get into three, Sense360 or, or is it just renewed life for you? So there's definitely a renewal that comes with starting something new. And um, it was it was <laughs> probably wasn't the smartest thing to go from one to the next without taking even a day off. Um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a lesson for the next company. But the, the reality is that what we're doing at Sense360, while very different and while our customer base is different and while the application of what we're doing is really different, a lot of the themes are still intertwined and a lot of the thinking that went into ThinkNear is appropriate and applicable for Sense360. So it's not like I came into an industry completely cold. Um, so sensors in general and mobile context, that's something I've been thinking about for a really, really long time. And just how to better create consumer experiences on mobile, that's also something that, that's that been really near and dear to my heart. And then there's you know the whole component of just engagement and, and helping apps figure out ways to keep their users on, on the app longer. It, it's somewhat related to a lot of the problems we were thinking about at ThinkNear around how do you get more customers? How do you reach out to new users? It's a little bit of like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, you know, I I would uh, I would agree with you on that completely. Obviously, we have a, a very similar uh, thinking around this industry, um, and and you know we have talked about uh, some of the biggest challenges that location based ads and advertising and, and ThinkNear's business. Have. But but there's one that and you guys brought it up. I mean, with the location score, you identified very clearly uh, the things that people. Th- thought they knew, but were too afraid to say, I think. And uh, when I talked to Chuck Martin about a presentation that you did, which was astounding, uh, it blew him away around, around um, you know, the location score and, and how off proximity marketing was uh, in general. And I think that, you, you know, as, as you start to think about what you're doing with Sense360, um, you hit it right on the nail there is that the goal is engagement. Because as you say, you've told me we, uh, on a pre-call that mobile myth there's this mobile myth of downloads, and that's the kind of people are chasing this downloads world. And, and I and I, I want to dive into that conversation. I'm going to close out with 
with Think Near Her for a second in the transition. Uh, here's a testament to uh, to Ellie and uh, and his team and the way he he left uh, Think Near and Telenav is that they're investors in in your company, aren't they? They are, and and we're incredibly grateful to have them as investors because um, you know, it was two years where we side by side fighting the same war and it was an amazing experience and I have incredible respect for them and so having them as investors and being able to turn to them for help is um, it's tremendous so I'm, I'm both humbled flattered and really excited that they're uh, that they're investors and hopefully we'll get them a good return yeah no kidding well I think they invest in the people right and I think that that's that's key so uh, you know there's, there's no animosity in the, in this departure and and um, and they send you off with a nice little package to go and invest in your new company so I it's very exciting and and um, so that's that's this transition that you had and and just like what you did at think near uh, with the location score now you're talking about something that is near and dear to every everybody's heart. You know, there was, um, I think that if you scale it back a little bit, there's this myth of the basement uh, app uh, entrepreneur, right? Uh, which everybody raced there over the last five years to to be that guy who creates the next Angry Birds from the basement and it's a rags to riches story. And and over that period of time, uh, what we're seeing now is, is frustration and anxiety in the in- industry about how not only how are you going to get somebody to get a download, which is very expensive to do, but how are you going to get them to use the product a second and a third time? And then how are you going to turn revenue on? And how are you going to do a whole bunch of things around around the app world? And and you have some very pointed thoughts around how, you know, this thing that you call the myth of the download. Why don't you explain that a little bit? What is the myth of the download? Ellie will let us know right after this ad. Hmm didn't really think this through. I'm about to play an ad for Ellie's previous company as he talks about his new company. This episode is brought to you in part by Thinknear. Here's Lauren Hilberg, president and GM of Thinknear by Telnav to remind us what they do. Thinknear is a location-based advertising network. We provide our clients and customers a great opportunity to get their advertising directly to the individual's who are most likely to act on it. Part of the beauty of what Thinknear does is to help use location to find your audience and then put the right message in front of them at the right time, at the right place. I know what you're asking, will this work for me? Brett Cohn, VP of Marketing at Thinknear has that covered. Every mobile campaign has the ability to leverage location to do a better job of reaching your audience. Thinknear worked with a large CPG company that has a health-focused cereal brand to help pinpoint their audience by city and then by neighborhood. Right again on how that was set up. People who might be visiting Tahoe to ski in some of our ads in the, in the Northern California area. Southern California, we talked about um, King Can- King's Canyon and other outdoor uh, adventure areas near that locality. And what you start to see is you're hitting a, a specific neighborhood that fits your audience. You're contextualizing the ad creative to make it more relevant to the user. And you start to see higher click rates as well as higher secondary action rates because the ad's more relevant in hitting their audience. Think Near, keeping you fit one ad at a time. And now back to Ellie and the myth of the download. Yeah, so I think when the app economy started to emerge, there was this huge rush to generate downloads. And that made sense. If you had an app and you got people to download it, then you had a whole bunch of people who knew about you and yep. were using you. But the thing that happened is that there was an explosion of the number of apps and there were, and in turn, people started downloading more and more and more apps on their phone. And then all of a sudden having someone download your app meant absolutely nothing because it just meant your app was lost in a sea of, uh, of other apps on their phones. And so this idea and, and this myth that 
all you need to focus on is getting people to download your app is really flawed because you I so I think the numbers are 139 billion app downloads happened in 2014 which is amazing it's Incredible. astronomical it's you know it's one of those numbers that you hear and it's like yeah that's plausible but it's still an enormous enormous number but the the number that people don't share nearly as wide and it's it's not an easy number to get but the estimates I've seen are that only about 5 to 15% of those app downloads turn into active users which means that if you talk about 100 139 billion downloads and only 5 to 15%, then you're talking about over 100 billion app downloads that didn't turn into active users. And to me, that's the mobile myth. It's this idea that you can't just focus on getting app downloads. You have to focus on getting downloads and then turning them into active users. And the problem for the industry today is that there are a lot of tools and a lot of distribution channels to get those downloads. And that's probably one of the reasons why this myth is perpetuated, because there are companies that are building billion dollar businesses and revenue streams on top of this. Um, but there are very few tools for app developers to go and retain and engage their users. All they can really do is they can um, build better products and experiences, which definitely will lead to more engagement, but still doesn't reach the fund or attack the fundamental problem, which is your app gets lost in the sea of apps, or they can use push notifications to just spam their users. And consumers don't like that. And ultimately, it's probably destructive over the long run. So there needs to be better tools. There needs to be better way for the app economy and the apps to figure out a way to retain and engage their users. Otherwise, it's just a lot of wasted money. Yeah, there's, it's carnage, right? And, and uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of developers, obviously, and, and I'm an app user. You're an app user, I, you, you know, and, and I know the apps that I use consistently. And, and it's no more. It's not seven. It's five, right? It's not maybe not even five. But uh, you know, we see a lot of wreckage on, on this highway and 100 billion apps. And that's that's a good number, you know, and, and it, that's only that's a 15 percent are actually uh, be turning into customers. And it's not right. It's we all know that it's probably uh, far, far the carnage is far greater than that. But these these apps that are, are being created ha have no home. Right. And you, you, I, I, we see it all the time. Developers spend spend a, a, a crazy amount of money building the app uh, and marketing the app and pushing the app out and then have it fall on deaf ears or having it downloaded and then forgotten in a folder. Um, and then they do resort, as you say, to push notifications or things that are that are deceitful almost. Um, you know, we've had this phase of uh, paying for app reviews, paying for downloads, right? Those are fundamental. Uh, I, I think that that just shows a flaw in this whole app economy, right? Is that if you have to force it so hard, um, it, it's never going to work. You can't do that. It can't sustain itself. So do you think that we're sitting on this inverted pyramid right now where there, there's, there is, you know, something's going to tilt and the whole thing is going to fall? It's, it's like a pyramid scheme, but upside down. It's the best way I can describe it. Are, are we worried about that? I think so. I, I, I definitely think so. I think apps have just gotten accustomed to spending all this time getting people in to download their app and then they, they forget the rest of the work that needs to go into it. It sort of reminds me like a sales team that goes out and they generate a ton, a ton, a ton of leads and then they don't call them back. And it's like, you can't run a sales team that way. You've got to go and get the pipeline full and then you've got to, you know, nurture it along the way and and apps have to start thinking about that but i really do feel that the reason they don't is because there's so many people incented in this economy to just drive downloads and i mean think of like facebook and twitter and how much they're making off of these app downloads and i do believe that over the next year we're going to see some massive companies emerge focused on engagement and we're hoping to be one of them
So, Ellie, what 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 can developers do? Like, there's got to be something that these guys who are suffering, who have kind of really you know managed to spend enough money and create a good enough product to get people to download the product, there's got to be something that they can do that that doesn't resort to push notifications and annoying a user and then having them delete it because it, you know all you're doing is pushing junk. Right. I, I don't know about you, but how many times do you say, do you allow push notifications when it pops up when you install an app? I mean, do you do you allow that? I think it depends on the app. So there are certain apps where I definitely allow it, like Uber, where it's like very endemic to the experience and it's helpful. Yep. And I think those are the types of notifications that really work. And I think that's part of the reason why Uber, aside from having a fantastic service, is so su- successful. It's just they figured out a really great re-engagement strategy and they figured out how to use push the right way. But yeah, for games or or um, apps and categories where they're not driving utility, notifications just don't help. See, I'm looking. I'm looking at my apps right now, which is what I'm doing, and and I I don't know that there is a single app on here. You know, aside from the usual ones, like text messaging, but even that I've cur- curtailed right uh, to specific things that I've I've uh, uh, enabled um, push notification. Um, ex- you know, except for those ones, as you said, like Uber. But but like, so if you cut off push notifications and they're specialized, right? Then 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 what is this? Like how this is a big problem because you end up being just like a book in a bookstore with a million other books, and you know the likelihood of somebody finding you and using you is very low, even when they download you, right? Yeah. And and I kind of feel like it's a huge shame that that notifications have been abused in such a way that everyone turns them off because if you look at what Apple and and Android are doing to basically create a really rich experience around notifications, it's a shame. They're making them more actionable, they're making them more dynamic, they're bringing them to the forefront. As soon as you turn on your phone, they're they're right there on your lock screen. Like they could be an amazing vehicle to re-engage users. They could be an amazing vehicle, a huge customer experience where consumers can just start serving, like, interacting with content directly on those notifications and, and bypassing having to go into apps. Like there is something really, really interesting going on with notifications, but you know, apps have to get smarter about them and they need to do things in a smarter way. And, and right now they're not. And that, that's part of the challenge is that you know, a vehicle that could have been great for re-engagement has been completely cut off. Um, at the same time, I think there are other things that they can do. So we, we're really big believers in using contextual information to do everything, to build for more personalized experiences, to build more relevant experiences. And, and you know, it's amazing. Like, how many apps now use location? It's, it's huge. I think the last number I heard was 600,000 out of 1.2 million on the um, Apple App Store um, are using location. But lo- location and GPS are just one of the sensors on a phone. Why aren't more apps using the accelerometer and the gyroscope to build better experiences? Why can't they use it to tell if I'm in the car or if I'm at home, if I'm standing or walking? Why aren't they using ambient light to know if the phone's in my pocket or out of my pocket? Why aren't they using um, like the barometer? There's so many rich data sources and they could build better experiences. Look, Not to keep going back to Uber, but look what they did just by using location. And apps could do that if they started to look at the sensors outside of location. And um, I think that's really the key to figuring out engagement. And, um, and clearly I'm a little bit biased because we're building a company <laughs> to try and do that. But we're building that company because I think that is a really big opportunity and a really big um, potential need for apps. You know, I, I, Asif Khan and I, uh, we cover this company called AdTile all the time. 
and, and it's a company that kind of gets that, where it, it, it uses not only proximity uh, location for ads, but it also uses things like the gyroscope and 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 uh, and and, uh, and it uses uh, weather and it uses a whole bunch of things to kind of customize the uh, an ad. It's a, it's an interstitial or pop up, but it, it's a little bit more interesting. Like it, you know, if you're interested in coffee and you want to find a coffee spot, it'll push this ad that is interact gives you an interactive map, um, or it'll push you to uh, you know the closest one if it's raining. Those kind of things, right? Where where you know it uses more than one sense, so to speak. Um, and and that that's always fascinating with me. We we love these types of companies that that leverage more than just uh, just location because. You're right. I, I, you know, it's just like the the challenge with Amazon and shopping on Amazon is that when I buy my kids a Minecraft book from Amazon, it doesn't mean that I like Minecraft. But when you exactly. do that, what it does, if you don't go in and say this was a gift and it's not for me, it will start showing you everything around Minecraft. It customizes it, adds to your profile, and and sometimes you're in a location that has nothing to do with who you are, right? Like I, I just went to the passport office. And I spent seven hours at the passport office. But that doesn't mean that I'm interested in getting anything that has to do with the businesses that are around there or the Canadian government, right? So uh, I, there's there's a whole bunch of challenges here. But do you think that companies like, you know, with, with Uber, for example, um, do you think that they, they could use these for nefarious reasons? Like I, I think of Uber and, and, you know, the challenges they've had, but... Um, in, in price fixing, right? So that if, for example, it uses more than just lo uh, location, it uses weather, for example, and says like, if it's raining, it, you know, they could automatically add a 30% premium because now, you know, there are fewer cars available because more people are using it. Like, do you, do you worry about that, that kind of abuse happening as a result of more sensory data? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you have more data, there's an opportunity for good and an opportunity for bad. Yes. I think ultimately, the one of the things that I feel really good about what we're doing at Sense360 is that we're enabling an app to interact with their own user. So there's that one-to-one -one relationship. So you as a user are deciding, I want to use this app. I trust it. I'm going to put my confidence behind it. And then we're helping them do what they're trying to do better. And um, obviously, we've got a ton of safety, privacy and safety safeguards. And yeah, we're doing a lot to build this in the right way. But at the end of the day, this isn't like in the ad ecosystem where you put data out there and then a whole bunch of players see it and you don't know exactly who's seeing it. This is a one-to-one -one relationship. You are installing Lyft and saying, Lyft, you have access to this data. And then Lyft is the only one that's seeing that data. So I, I feel like, yes, there is an opportunity for bad, but it's a lot more constrained and, and more contained. Uh, yeah, you know, I just uh, because it's Uber, right? Is that they're, they're, everybody's picking on yeah, them, and I don't. That's mean, why I went there with yeah. Lyft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Shifted over to Lyft. <laughs> I like that. Um, but but the whole concept here is that you guys are building this basically a, a tool for app developers to bring into their applications that starts to use this, that asks for permission to be able to use these other senses that or sensors that come from the device. Um, and and you know, was there anything that as you were thinking through the idea? Uh, aside from your own experience with Thinknear, you know, were you talking to customers and they were saying, you know, um, you know, location is great, um, but I'm really dying for some other sense or another way to use all these other sensors. Um, what I'm asking is, is the market ready for this? Is the market asking for it? Or are we still trying to figure out location? So I, I definitely think there's a lot to still figure out in location. It is definitely not fully understood and right. not fully executed. Um, at the same time, 
I also don't think this is one of those things where consumers or customers are going to come and say, hey, I've been looking for this. Can you solve this problem? (laughs) And I wish that was definitely the case. It would make our lives a lot easier. But the reality is that this is like hard tech. It's very geeky. Like most people don't know what the sensors are and what those sensors can be used for. And I think it really will what we'll see happen is there'll be a few examples of people who do a really good job with these sensors and they'll build really interesting businesses through them. And then all of a sudden other people say, I want that. And so I think you have to see it first. Um, so no, to answer your question, the customers were not coming to me and saying, can we have this? They're not knocking on the door saying, Hey, listen, I really need this. I really need this. And, uh, and, and, but you're going to, invent- once we tell them about it, they're excited, but need and yeah. like, do you like, do you think it like sense 360 is the company that's behind this and, and, and like, is the goal to, to build it into a brand or is it just to build it into a brand that, that other, uh, app developers know or integrators know? Yeah, it's for app developers. Yeah. So we're, we're not going to try to go out and, and make sure that consumers know what sense 360 is. We're basically building a tool that helps app developers do what they want to do. And, um, so it's very much a B2B business. You know, I use this app called Ski Tracks, which, um, I mean, I take my kids skiing. And, and what it basically does, it's a four-pay app, but you pay once like everything else and you get a million dollars worth of updates. And and uh, it, it is basically a um, – uh, it, it documents my – my ski trip. I'm just going to put it up on the screen there, and and what it does is is so it, it uses a, a multiple sensors. It uses location, right? It uses the altitude, right? Because I'm going up hills and I'm going down hills, and then it uses speed as I'm barreling after my kids, chasing them down the mountain. Um, it uses distance, right? Because it, it'll tell you how many how many kilometers or miles you've skied downhill, and then how many the total kilometers or miles you've used, like up and down, right? So you're up on the lift. Uh, so it, it does vertical. It tries to understand the slope and the number of runs that you use. And I think this is this is a as close to an example of something that that fills that uses more than one single. Like, in fact, it never even asks for my location. Right. It doesn't care about your location. It, it grabs your longitude and latitude, but it doesn't care about it. It also times how long you've skied. So uh, that's that, that's my first exposure to all of these senses coming through on an app like that, that that landed here. And I'm like, that is an easy buy for me. That's what you're trying to do for all other apps, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then I think it's so incredibly powerful. And if, if they can then start suggesting other trails that suit your skill set, oh, like yeah. all of a sudden you start getting to some really cool and interesting things. And I don't know, it, when I think about our mobile device, there are two main differences from a computer. One is it's smaller and portable, but the second is that it's got all these senses. So we've gotten so accustomed to using a computer where if we want to get information out of it, we type in the question and it sort of spits it out or we go into a page and we look for it. Whereas a mobile device doesn't really need us to type things in. It's got these sensors that it can sort of predict and anticipate what we're looking for without us having to say it. And that that's powerful. And, and apps... They're entirely new services and new apps and things that you know I would never be able to dream of, but that I just inherently know are there. And so hopefully we'll be able to enable that kind of experience. And I'm, I'm just really excited to see what people build on top of it. Well, I mean, be, uh, you know, you talk about sensors and you talk about, uh, you, know, th- you know, these devices, but now we're talking about wearables. And by the time you're watching this, you would have known that Apple has now kind of given up on, on the first iteration of Google Glass. And maybe there's a second one that comes out. But maybe by the time you're watching this, it could be the fact that the Apple Watch is out. Uh, but certainly, if you were at CES this year, you understand. I mean, I have one right here, right? I have the Pebble sitting right here. Um, I have a Fitbit behind me, a Fitbit Force, and I have a uh, I have a uh, 
Over, over here, I have the Misfit Shine, right? I've worn every one of these things everywhere that I can, but, but there's no doubt that this is an emerging field. And when you talk about data and input and sensors, these things are now, for me, uh, you know, they, they measure uh, not only uh, your sleep, your steps, they'll measure your heart rate, uh, they'll measure your pulse, obviously, ongoing. Um, they, they, uh, they understand where you are, where you've been. Like, these things are the mecca for data collection and multiple sense, sensory data collection as well. What do you think about this wearable world? How does that fit into what you're doing? I think it's amazing. I think ultimately that... The more data that's out there, the more say, data that's being captured, the more relevant, personalized advice, help, context, services that you can build on top of it. And so the, the sensors don't necessarily need to live on the phone. They just need to be out there. And the, the phone has to act with the understanding of all the different data that's out there and, and just create the best experience for you possible. The, the one app that I love that I think does this really, really well is... Um, dark sky and it's not that they use other sensors but that they're using data to build an experience that's just infinitely better than what was possible without it and um, i don't know if you know what dark sky does but it's basically a weather app that instead of asking you to go into the app and, and check the weather and tell you what the weather is right now and what it will be in the future you basically just leave it on your phone and it stays on your phone and it's constantly monitoring your location and the weather where you are and whenever it sees that it's going to change dramatically that it's either going to rain or snow or the weather's going to drop or go up it sends you a notification and tells you hey it's going to rain and to me, that's such a beautiful, elegant way of, you know, avoiding this, this thing where I need to constantly check the weather and just telling me whenever I need to know about it. I think that's a really, really cool application. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And oh, by the way, we've called an Uber for you and uh, we've done all of these things, right? Like, exactly. I mean, is that where we're going with these? Because, uh, you know, when, when you start to bring all these different sensors in, you can know that. Uh, one of Chuck Martin's, who, who's a co-host with me, one of Chuck Martin's biggest complaint is, is that when he has like a shopping app, uh, right. Um, and he he, uh, he may have passed within a proximity uh, of a store that has a deal on uh, and he gets a notification, which is which is exactly what it's supposed to do. But the, the problem is, is that he's going 80 miles an hour down the highway. Right. And the, and it's not relevant to him at that moment. Uh, you know, how how can you how can you help with that? How, how can what you do with Sense, 6, Sense 360 help with that? You, that is the perfect example of, of how using multiple sensors helps because yes you're right location is one piece of context but if you don't have the other context which is what is chuck doing at that very moment you could totally mess it up <laughs> and but if you use that if you use the accelerometer it's actually not that hard to know if a person is driving or not and so if you could tell that the person was driving you don't alert them and if you know that they're actually in the store that's helpful but then you can use other sensors to figure out are they actually in the store itself or are they just near it and do different things. Maybe if they're in it, you show a bigger discount, a lower discount. If they're not, you all of a sudden you're contextualizing further. Then maybe you figure out if the phone is in their pocket or not. Then you figure out if they're strolling at a fast pace or if they're circling. You, you can do all sorts wow. of different things. And, and that's that to me is like, I feel like using location to power an app experience is step one. Using a, a second sensor is to, it, it just step three. And every sensor you add just tells you a little bit more about that, that, 360 degree view and all of a sudden you start building some incredibly powerful experiences that are just you know 10 steps ahead of where we are right now and and that's what you guys are building now now what's the difference between say uh dark sky uh pushing you 
a, a, a note about the weather change and, and traditional uh, notifications, right? So, I mean, there is there is a difference between what what people have as notifications when they get, say, a text message or they walk past a store and they get a, a, a ping for a sale and something like what Dark Sky is doing about notifying you that there's, uh, you know, a, a typhoon on the way, right? But there is a subtle difference between those kinds of notifications, right? There absolutely is. I think the, the big difference is that when people think about notifications right now, and I think the, the visceral reaction people have to them is that they're not targeted. They're basically the way most most of the push notifications are triggered are based on what you've done in the app. So you haven't been in my apps in seven days. I'm going to send you notification. No, that's helpful to you. That's not helpful to me. Um, which is, I think, the big problem. It's the marketing channel. Whereas what Dark Sky is doing is it's saying, where are you? What's happening around you? Why do we care about, why would you care about the weather? Oh, you do care about the weather. Here's some information. And so it, it, it they're switching it from a um, marketing play to an engagement play. And that, that I think is really important. So they're starting with the consumer and ending with the notification rather than starting with the um, marketing and ending with the notification. And I, th I think that's a big difference. And, you know, I, I've heard, we, we talk about this conversation, we talk about this topic around notifications and, and I, I don't want to lump this into notifications, but, but we talk about this kind of, uh, this layer of uh, like a notification operating system on top of, uh, on top of iOS or on top of Android or Blackberry, whatever you use or Windows, where, where uh, I, I install an app and, and I put it somewhere you know, sometimes I don't know where I put it. Um, and and just like you said, these these kind of contextualized uh, information nuggets get sent to me. And I don't care that the where the app is in the folder, but it knows that this information is pertinent to me and it will draw that up uh, and, and put it in front of me at the right time with the right message, right? So so like Dark Sky or whatever it might be. Uh, I, I mean, do you, do you see that kind of stuff happening where, where look, the app is the conduit to the ability to create this layer on top of the operating system to let me know the information that I need to know. Like my Uber is around the corner, my Lyft is around the corner, or there, as I said, there's a snowstorm coming your way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the right way to build apps. I, I think the more you can contextualize your service, your offering and your notifications, the the better of an experience you build. So absolutely. I. I yeah, I mean, I, th I think one of the things that, that struck me is when you were talking a little bit about the, the company, I forget the name of the Tile Ad, was it? Oh, Ad Tile, yes, yeah. Ad Tile, yeah. Um, it, it feels to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it feels to me like a lot of the really interesting targeting technologies start in advertising, mm -hmm. and then they move toward, and they, they hit the consumer. And I, I don't know if that's because there's so much money in advertising or it's easier to build a business there, but it, it seems that way, and, and I feel like, what what they're doing is really really interesting, and if that could extend to the consumer experience rather than just ads, that would be really powerful for consumers. You know, I often think about that because you know there are absolutely the in the app world there are very few apps that are naturally um, gifted. I would say in in sending me a notification that's relevant. And weather is one of them, because I'm Canadian, and that's a dominant conversation in Canada about the weather. You should know that. The other is ice hockey. Right, uh, which is dominant com conversation, uh, and, and so you know when I when I start to think about that, I think of weather and I think of sports. Right, and those are two things that are naturally gifted when it comes to notifications. I, like I'm a Yankees fan in baseball, I'm an Ottawa Senators fan in hockey, and it sending me notifications about the scores of those games, I welcome with open awesome. arms. Right, I, I yeah. do, um, and and uh, and so the, I I think that they're gifted. It's natural with those. 
The rest of them are not. Like, I do not need notifications from a game that says, hey, you haven't played in three days, as you said. Or I do not need notification to say, listen, hey, Rob, you haven't skied in four weeks. What's going on, right? Um, they should know that the weather is bad or the weather is good or, or I'm away, right? So, uh, but are, is that asking too much at this point? Because, you know, that, that gets complicated. And instead of going for these numbers, like you talk about the myth of the downloads, instead of saying, you know, a uh, hundred thousand or a million downloads, what you're saying is, you know, a thousand true users, right? A thousand users or a hundred users or whatever it might be, or 10 users that, that you are absolutely nailing that experience with. That's not fun. That's not sexy. That's not interesting to VCs or entrepreneurs because I often talk to these guys and, and they say, when I say, how many downloads have you had? They say 40 or 50,000. And I think, holy, like I ran a company for seven years and I had 2,000 customers. That Do you know how many people what? that is? Like that's an incredible number of people. So, are, are, you know, is are, are we are our expectations too high for, for what happens with downloads? I don't know. I, so I think every business is different. I think, a, you know, a, um, a business like uh, MakerBot had something like 2,000 customers, and that was a massive, massive business yeah. so, because they were charging a couple of grand for what they were doing. An app that's not charging and that's basically generating revenue off of advertising and the, that revenue that is generating is pretty small because the ad space is small and the the number of page users is small. They they do need a bunch of users and and they need to have active users. And so I, I do think that VCs should care about active usage and um, session rate and all the other stuff. And I do think the entrepreneur should be focused on it. And I'm just surprised that they're not. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 one it's one metric, right? The download and it's a it's a, so what we're showing here is that it's a false metric. And it is. It's average daily use. It's average weekly or average monthly use that you should be focusing on. And and uh, because if you're only in that small percentage, two or three percent of your downloads are being used, then you have a problem. You're either not marketing it properly or you're not hitting your mark with your product. Um, and and you hope that you're not marketing it properly uh, because if you're not hitting your mark, then then there's nothing. No, there's no other company that can help you uh, if you're not hitting your mark with your with your product. Uh, but where does this go then? So. How do, how do you how do you take all of these sensors, uh, um, put them inside of an app, and and create value? What does this look like going forward for for somebody who's using Sense three hundred and sixty, eventually? Yeah, so so I think just to to go over why someone why apps wouldn't use those sensors right now. Well, yep. one is they're really difficult to access. It, they they throw off a ton of data that's hard to analyze. It kills battery and getting some of that data can be very privacy unfriendly. So those are really the reasons why someone wouldn't use them because there are APIs to get them. So, yep. those, and um, so what we want to do is make it really easy to get access to that data, but not get it in the raw format, but actually get it in the form of actionable insight and do so in a way that's sequenced and, and optimized so that it really has negligible effect on battery life for consumers. And that's done so in a very privacy friendly way where there's levels of abstraction between the data that's actually captured and stored in servers and and the data that's actually used to to run some of this, um, some of these experiences. And so if we can deliver on those promises, then I think it'll be much, much easier for apps to do it and they'll, they'll be much more comfortable and um, we'll end up seeing more apps use the sensors. 
And it's a use case. I mean, so I mean, you're you're not going to use all sensors for your app. You're going to hopefully be smart about it and use the one that is going to help move your app into general use or into somebody's into somebody's heart, shall we say? Like you're not going to use all of them for for every app. I would hope, right? You don't have to turn them all on at one time. Um, but that's but it's going to be a gradual approach, isn't it, for for app developers? I think so. The way we're trying to um, the way we're trying to build this is in a way where the app developer doesn't need to know what sensor is being used. They're trying to they're trying to solve for a specific use case. They want to know when someone gets to a gas station and or when someone drives into a gas station. And it's up to us to figure out what sensors oh, to use, good. how to use them, when to use them. Because I, I think if we basically just said these are the fifteen sensors, here's the menu, go, and you guys go and figure <laughs> it out, like that would be hard. But if we can just say, hey. Here's a list of 15 different place or types of places and 15 different activities and 15 different c contextual pieces and 15 different other things. And you could just mix and match and say, okay, I want to reach someone who's at a bar at 10 o'clock at night. They've been there for two hours and whatnot. We can do that and we can make that really seamless. And the, the app doesn't need to know that it's using GPS and accelerometer and ambient light and whatever else is using um, and make that just a little bit easier for everyone. You know, I, I, I just, I can't help but think about some great use cases for, for what you guys are doing. And, and uh, what I'm hoping is that people listening to this are starting to think about their apps in different in different contexts. Um, but I always think that these devices, right, they, they know so much about us and, and maybe a wearable device as well. Uh, they, they know, uh, you, you know, we're starting to start, we're starting to see these things become keys for doors, keys for cars, enablers like that. And it won't be too long before they happen. I kept, keep on thinking that, you know, if you want to stop something like drinking and driving, like, isn't this like the perfect device to be able to do that with, with your software? Like, you know, I think that maybe that was the missing key is that, you know, I walk into a known location, which is a bar. Right. Uh, I pull up in my car. I walk into a bar. It understands where I am. It has the proximity. I sit there for four and a half hours. Right. Which is not a casual stopover. Right. Um, and uh, then obviously, you know, I pay with my Apple Pay. The bar tab it assesses how much uh, I've had to drink over that period of time. I go into my car based on your software and understanding all of that stuff. I do go to turn on my car and it's disabled by Bluetooth. Right, so that I can't drive my car after having that many drinks sitting in that bar in a shorter period of time. Right, if I was there 13 hours and I had two drinks, maybe you know, you know what I mean. It, it, it's that context that enables these new layer of services that that I, I don't think anybody's thought about at this point. Is that that like those kind of use case scenarios are pretty damn cool. I think so. I I would yeah. I think you just came up with a really good one. There you go. I think that's a yeah. Put a TM stamp on that. Uh, you should. Is, is, that's the hope, right? Because I think these these. Um, I mean, what we're talking about here are steps, and and uh, you know, going from a gaming device or communications device to a a node on the network that looks around and says, "Hey, you've done this, 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 and this, and this," and it has enough smarts to understand that this that equals something, uh, and that that something is an outcome, and whether it's a notification or something like a trigger, uh, that's ultimately what you're doing here, and it's kind of it's completely obfuscating the the app itself, wouldn't you think? I do, I do, I absolutely do. I think that's so cool. That's good. <laughs> it's so cool. I think so. I'm I'm so excited. I, yeah, it it feels like just. Every new sensor is just going to tell us so many new things that there are going to be all sorts of. I mean, we just came up with a few today, and I just I can't wait to see what people come up with. Well, how and, do you how do you yeah. stop, Ellie? How do you stop yourself from from that? Like, you know, 
this you know for example like when when a watch has has heart rate um you know do you guys think about that as like okay that that's going to be put over here because it's just another sensor that is it's more data um do you guys do you guys park that or do you do you have this whiteboard that says all of these sensors and here's the potential and here's why we would do it or do you guys have to really sit down and think no we're not going to touch that until we've nailed these three or these five or these the, the original 11. Yeah, I think there are definitely sensors that are a little bit easier for us to grasp how they might be used. And so since we are ultimately just surfacing um, use cases or, yeah. or different behaviors to the, um, so we do have to go through and say, yeah, these sensors can help us figure this out. These sensors won't. Um, I, I think a heart monitor one, we've heard some really interesting ideas. We also talked about being privacy friendly and, and that one <laughs> makes it a little bit trickier. So, but we're, we're constantly thinking about them. I mean, we, all of us here just get so jazzed up about trying different stuff and like building stuff for ourselves. And it, so we'll, we'll play with them. We just might not incorporate them right away. I can't wait. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to have, send that notification that says, you're having a heart attack and it's not true. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just that the, you know, Lakers scored. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Sit down, call 911. I mean, we called 911. Don't worry about it. They're on their way. Well, I think that there's a lot of experimentation that has to happen. I can't wait to see what comes out of this. Um, how far along are you guys now? And, and, and uh, you know, when when is this going to be generally available for people, app developers, to start using it? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a big, big technical challenge. Yes, there, this, is. Is, this is hard, hard, hard stuff. Probably the hardest technical um, problem that I've ever been in, on a team trying to solve. And so, it, you know, we're working on it. We've got a few closed beta partners that we haven't announced yet. And, um, you know, we'll hopefully launch soon. I just don't have an exact date to share yet. Yeah, it is. This is a this is a big task. And if you nail it, um, boy, oh, boy. Uh, are, do you worry that coming out, talking about it, that, uh, that there's going to be these, the, you know, now it's going to, uh, you know, competitors are going to emerge? I don't know. I've never really um, spent too much time thinking about the competitive landscape just because I feel like this is a hard technical challenge. We've got to go solve it. We've got some ideas around it. And um, ultimately, if the market is going to grow and be big, we won't be the only ones there and competitors will emerge. So if they emerge now or later, like, it doesn't really change that much how we have to approach it. Um, that said, I think it's more helpful to talk about these things and um, and start the conversation and have the dialogue than it is to to be really focused about who else is playing the game. Well, I like it. You've captured my imagination because they start to think about the potential and these these new layers of business services that can go on top of it as a result of what you're doing with Sense 360. So that that's that's pretty cool. And and hopefully there's people out there that are listening or watching this that get that sense as well that, that you know what we're just waiting for this and it opens up. A brand new opportunity this this next gold rush when it comes to to these devices uh and it's in the sensor we well, i think we all know that i'm uh, just going to try to figure out how you you uh hook it up into drones and that's the next stage we won't talk <laughs> about that right now yeah uh so where should we send people uh ellie just to, to sense360.com for more information yep that's the best place and um anyone wants to reach out should and um yeah thank you rob
No, it's my pleasure. I can't, I, you know what, I, I'm hoping for, there will be sixth and seventh. I'm absolutely guaranteed because I got to follow this as you guys emerge uh, with, with the product. You start to showcase some of the uh, beta trials that you're doing and the customers and what they're doing. Uh, this just has like years and years and years more of episodes that we could be doing here based on the case studies that you're doing. I think it's transformation. I think it's going to change business. I think it's very amazing. Um, and I'm a huge fan. Thank you. So Ellie. thank you, LA, for, uh, thank you, LA, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and I really, really hope we do a six. I'm excited. I'm we already will, looking forward to it. Six times, six time guest on Untethered.tv. We have been speaking with Ali Portnoy, who is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Sense360. Go to Sense360. That's Sense360.com if you'd like some more information about what they're doing. Lots of uh, job opportunities that I saw up there at the time of this recording. Uh, and also, um, just keep on top of, and I will as well, about uh, the, how these guys evolve. Uh, for you app developers out there, I think it's uh, very important that you start to look at things other than just the standard stuff like location and proximity. So Sense360, Ellie, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate your time. Thank you.